Good evening, everybody. Hope you're doing well. It's Steph. It is Sunday evening, October the 12th, 2008. And it's time for our regularly scheduled cleaning and chores. So join me, everybody. Scrub, two, three, four. And I wanted to have a little chittle chattel about what I would like to do next. Now, given that the arrival of the little chatty forehead is, i.e. the baby, is uh, verging on imminent, I don't want to take on any big projects. Um, I could really, if I pushed myself, I could try to get another book done, but I don't see how that's going to work, and I also think it'll be fairly lengthy. This is uh, the sequel to How Not to Achieve Freedom, which is How to Achieve Freedom, which will uh, be somewhat time-consuming, to say the least. So I don't think that will be a reasonable thing for me to try and get done. Because you never know, baby could be early. Right? Um, so, um, so what am I going to do? Well, what I thought I would try to do in sort of sniffing out the market as it stands, I thought it would be worthwhile the uh, I sort of tested some interesting experiments with this uh, this current events stuff that's going on. So I did a current events one which didn't talk at all about principles in terms of what uh, uh, you know why this uh, financial mess within the United States is going on at the moment. And I did one where I didn't talk about principles at all, and that got you know for an FDR video uh, quite popular, seven thousand views or so. And then I did one, which was House MD, which was an analysis of the housing crisis. And it only got, we got less than 2,000 views. And the reason for that, of course, I have about 2,500 subscribers, but the reason for that is that people weren't sending it around. So I'd like to think about this, or at least I think I'm going to give it a shot. I'm going to create a new channel, and this was suggested by a user. I've mulled it over before, but I think I'm going to give it a shot. I create a new channel. The existing one is called Steph Bot, because <laughs> I didn't really think I was going to do that much with it. And so I set it up. I didn't change it because it actually had, it has, a, it is a director account, which you actually can't get anymore. At least I don't think you can, uh, which allows me to upload more than 10-minute videos. So I couldn't really get rid of it, given that my podcasts from the car were. Oh, <laughs> just a little longer. But I'd like to do this, which is, you know, freedom morsels or, or uh, freedom nuggets or, you know, that this is anything other than a, a way of us talking about it here. Certainly not a brand name. And so the channel will be Free Domain Radio. And I'm going to try the strategy, and this is just to raise the profile of the show and to have it be sent around and to try and gain people's trust that I'm not going to freak them out by talking about religion or anarchic theories of government or anything like that, but it's just going to be pure current events, just puro, puro current events, and, you know, five to ten minutes. Not, and I'm going to even, and because of course this new one, I won't be able to do videos longer than ten minutes, so even the longer ones, and it could be that the House MD one is is not uh, is not that popular because of the length. It's 20 minutes as opposed to the other one with 10 minutes. 
So I'm going to try and do philosophical analyses, not anarchic analyses or anything, philosophical analyses um, of current events, and keep them, you know, five to seven minutes. Ten, I guess, is the maximum that I could do. But try and keep them as short and as snappy as possible. And I can, you know, with research, um, and uh, I'll need to find a way to set them up that's a little more professional looking. In fact, I will even wear a suit to uh, to do the presentation. But uh, uh, do one of those a day. I could do one of those in the morning and do a little uh, some other FDR work in the afternoon. But it would be a place to come to where people would be able to get the kind of analysis that they just can't get elsewhere. That that you know that's that's easy to get elsewhere, and. So I you know, try and differentiate that stuff by bringing a philosophical analysis to current events, but without uh, focusing on no God, uh, no state, uh, or any psychology, because that is uh, is something that people find hard to send around, right? They get, I think they get more nervous about it. Some people love it. I mean, I've got some emails saying, oh, when you said uh, violence doesn't solve social problems, it's like, wow, I got it, blah, blah, blah. Some people do like it, but I think it's sort of a minority, so I'd like to try this out. I can take a run at it for the next couple of weeks and try and do one a day. And it's relatively easy. And just <laughs> You can take philosophy and apply it to just about everything these days. Everything is so <laughs> in your face as far as philosophical principles go. But I'd like to create an analysis of that that would be free of the... You know, free of religion, uh, free of, of this political spin that you know, people you know really want to put stuff on. I think it would be, and I can sort of do some stuff to focus on the U.S. election. Um, so I'll, I'll I'll drop a couple of topics. I've got sort of four topics that I was thinking about, and this is the kind of stuff that I'd like to do. And you can uh, let me know if this. Uh, if this sort of stuff would would uh, do you think be of interest to to others, the sort of general general population? So so here's one, and uh, this goes back to uh, something that I talked about in a very early podcast uh, about uh, Al Qaeda. Uh, as as you as you know, uh, probably know, um, uh, Bin Laden was trained on how to bring down an empire by engaging it in a lopsided financial battle through military means, right? So he would take down a $20 million plane with a $20,000 Stinger missile in Afghanistan against the Soviets, and this did not do much to help the Soviets uh, maintain the finances that they had in the Treasury, right? So this idea that you engage a far superior enemy in a basically it's a war of economic attrition because to attack is far more expensive than to defend. So this war of attrition, uh, he was trained to do in the United States. Now, he very explicitly said that the purpose of the 9-11 attack was to get the United States engaged in the Middle East, you know, where, where they could reach them, where they could get at them, where the, the, the Al-Qaeda could get at them, because, of course, they're not going to... <laughs> you know they're going to land in Fort Bragg and and do anything there. 
So, you know, this is why they spent, as far as a sort of a half a million dollars or whatever on 9-11, and the United States has spent multi-trillions of dollars responding to it. That, of course, is not a sustainable economic situation. So another way of looking at this economic crisis that is occurring in the United States is that to get the American population to buy into a war, because you can't just draft people anymore. I mean, that just doesn't work. Like ever since Vietnam, it just, just doesn't work. Um, consciousness has raised in human society to the point where a draft would be inefficient, uh, it would be expensive, it would be morally abhorrent to most people. So because they can't conscript labor, they have to Uh, conscript money, right, because you have to pay for the labor, which you formerly got for virtually free. And so they could not start the war. You, you can't have a war if the true costs of the war are evident up front. I mean, it, it, that just doesn't work. Right? You, you, you can't have a war and levy, like have a, an immediate 30% increase in everyone's taxes, right? Because then everyone will say, shit. <laughs> You know, no way. I'm I'm not going to do it. Um, you know, my standards of proof become a little bit higher. I'm not just going to take rhetoric as the proof to the danger to me, right? Be like if you signed a uh, contract with you know home alarm system and locked them in for five years, and then they said, "Oh, there's some dangerous guys around. We're going to have to double your rates." For the next couple of years, and ooh, there are just there are just trust us, there are lots of dangerous people around. It's, you'd probably say, well, <laughs> I don't mind paying more if there is in fact a genuine and unforeseen danger, but I, I'm not going to just take it on your say so, right? So in order to keep the standards of proof low to get people into war, you have to have it not hit them financially um, up front, right? That just just won't work. So you have to uh, spend a lot of money on the war, of course. And you have to hide that spending from the American people in order for them to not have an immediate, like, screw you, we're not doing a war because I've got to eat, right? So I'm not going to pay an extra $10,000 a year to pursue this war, right? So you have to keep the cost of the war hidden in order to have the war occur. So um, what you do is you inflate, you um, subsidize, you create weird incentives, you, you manipulate the, uh, the economy to give the impression, right, to give the impression that the war, I'm just cleaning the toilet, don't, <laughs> don't worry, I'm not doing anything hideous, to give the impression that uh, the war is, is cost-free, and thus to keep it off people's radar, to keep the, the requirements for proof very low, and so you, you have to mutate the economy. And, of course, Americans have not been hit with the costs of the war, right? I mean, they just their taxes haven't gone through the roof, even though trillions of dollars are being spent and massive amounts. And, of course, there's lots of future liabilities in a war, right? I mean, that... That aspect of warfare is completely horrendous. Right? After the First World War, British government was paying like a third of its revenue in like medical benefits to the to the soldiers, right? I mean, so it was all 
very bad indeed for for the public purse again i'm going to synthesize this down and you know i'm just sort of giving you the general outline of the uh, of the idea hopefully it will make some sense and you know i can't remember exactly how long it took if i remember rightly russia invaded afghanistan in 1980 by 1989 the russian empire was effectively toast right so it took about nine years it's a little less i think for the united states because it, it should take a little less for the united states not because the u.s is poorer of course but because the spending on the war is just that much higher right so oh man if i die young from bad lungs it's from the fumes of this stuff that i clean the tiles with <coughs> So that's what's uh, another way, another reason why this <coughs> economy boom and bust has occurred. The government was lowering interest rates, <coughs> excuse me, lowering interest rates and printing money in order to cover up the true costs of the war. And the result has been the boom and the bust, right? So the American economy has hit the shitter because, as a, to a large degree, because of the war, which was the conscious and express goal of Al Qaeda to get it to spend itself into oblivion, which is exactly what the U.S. had trained it to do with the last superpower. Yeah, under underestimating your enemies is almost always one of the worst tactical mistakes or strategic mistakes that you can make in any battle, right? Underestimating the intelligence and ability abilities of Al-Qaeda. Very bad idea. I mean, these are these are smart people. And I would submit it's one of the reasons that the United States did not want Bin Laden to be caught, right? I mean, What's he going to do? He's going to go on trial and he's going to talk about how he was trained by the United States to bring down a superpower by engaging it in this war of economic attrition. <laughs> right? That's not so good for those who want to use the attacks on 9-11 to drain the public treasury. Right? Cause, because that's what's really going on. I mean, the attacks on 9-11 were a great excuse not to enslave the American public, but simply to start a war to drain the treasury. I mean, people get very rich in a war. Some people, right, the average population, gets poorer, right? So this war of economic attrition that was launched has been very successful because it's fucked up the American economy. I'll use pronged up or pranged up, of course, because it'll be a family show. And this is not just my say-so, right? This is not nothing to, no need to take what I'm saying on faith, right? Because this is exactly what Al-Qaeda has said. Al-Qaeda has said, yay, you know, our plan has worked, right? Of messing up the U.S. economy, but getting them involved in a horrendously expensive war. 
Because, you see, people who want to get rid of imperialists, and the U.S. is a massively imperial country, of course, but people who want to get rid of the imperialists, they study their history, right? And they say, well, you know, the British Empire was a huge and powerful empire. The sun never set, biggest empire the world's ever seen. And how did it end? How did this, you know, massive Goliath come crashing down? Well, it ended because it was bled dry militarily through World War One, of course, and then the death blow of World War Two. Right. So they're very aware that the uh, the British Empire was defeated. Britain was reduced to a second-rate post-imperial power. Right? It was achieved through economic attrition, right? through England getting involved in all of these completely unsustainable uh, wars. Now, the difference, of course, and believe it or not, I will try and get this into, <laughs> into 10 minutes. Now, the difference, of course, is that in the past, because the costs of attack and the costs of defense were about the same, right? Anti-aircraft guns, enough anti-aircraft guns to bring down a, a bomber cost about as much as a bomber. So, you know, attack and defense were, you know, more or less equivalent in terms of cost. So there was, unless you got a third party to do it, I mean, India didn't get Britain out by attacking Britain through a war of attrition, but because Germany and Italy and Japan were willing to do it, they just, you know, got the pickings, right? They got the leftovers. So you can't do that. You couldn't do that in the past, but you can do it now, of course. And technology has made attack so much more expensive. So the people who want to devote their lives to getting rid of an imperial power have—they do their homework. <laughs> They're not idiots. They do their homework and they say, "Well, shit. The only way to get rid of an imperial power is to break its back militarily, and we can't do that. Oh, we couldn't do that in the past, but we sure as heck can do it now, right?" And so they study and they study, and they take the lesson of the Soviet Union, they take the lesson of the British Empire, and of all the other empires. I mean, all the European empires went kaplooey after the Second World War because they were just broken. Because right? empires are a net loss to the countries that uh, that run them, right? And a net loss to the countries they prey upon. It just net gains to specific elements of the ruling class, right? So. So that will sort of be be one of the casts, right, to help, or one of the videos, to help people to understand, you know, what is going on with this financial crisis. This is the price of the war, right? And the war is the price of listening to your leaders, right? So that's sort of one, one aspect of it. Now, I, if I have time within those 10 minutes, which I think I will if I organize it properly and God help me don't tangent myself into oblivion which is unlikely but possible I guess with enough takes and uh, perhaps a bullwhip wielded by the lovely and talented Christine but um, now the other the other sort of topic that I would like to to, uh, to talk about is the question of, of just sort of saying look 
the uh, the the crisis that is occurring in the in the financial sphere is the result of the Fed to to a large to a large the government monopoly on currency is the, the number one issue, right? And I said, so I want to sort of say it like this. Look, I know that there's a lot of crazy, creepy weirdos who talk about you know the Fed, like the Fed buggered my dog or something, you know, and they just all the evils in the world flows from the <laughs> New World Empire and the Fed and so on, right? And I know that those people are not way positive for the credibility of these kinds of genuine solutions, right? Genuine answers as to what's going on. But nonetheless, right, uh, it's important to separate the wheat from the chaff, right? To, to, to sort of understand that even though there are some weirdos talking about the Fed, it doesn't mean that uh, that is not an answer, right? It just means that there are some people who aren't very healthy who like to talk about it as an answer. And there's no, you know, to believe in the Illuminati or <laughs> some sort of New World Order international conspiracy of Armenian bankers or whatever the hell it is. But, I mean, the Fed is, is pretty easy to, to understand, right? Just this idea that if you can type whatever you want into your own bank account, then you will end up spending a lot of money, right? So if you can type $10 million into your bank account this year, then you're going to go buy, you know, a yacht and a house, right? Which is going to send all these price signals to yacht and house makers to buy or to make more yachts because they go like, wow, there's a lot of demand for these yachts, right? And those resources will then be used to produce yachts and houses, which would otherwise be used to produce other things, you know, cars or bicycles or iPods or whatever, right? And uh, unfortunately, um, like to some degree, fortunately for those who print the money, right, their money is not subject to the inflation that comes later because the first guy to spend the uh, fiat currency, the non-real, the unreal currency, gets full value, right? But then the... Uh, it sort of goes out in time waves to the rest of the economy, and people who then have dollars later end up paying the $10 million through inflation. So they, because, because their money is worth less, they end up buying stuff, not buying stuff that they otherwise would have. Maybe even they don't buy yachts and houses, right? Because if it results in a 10% real inflation and a yacht is now, you know, I don't know, 5.5 million instead of 5 million, then there's going to be some guy who won't buy that yacht. So all of these resources that are put into building these yachts because of this artificial demand, because of this fiat money, ends up um, causing this inflation, which causes a whole bunch of other stuff not to be bought, including the, the high-end stuff, right? When the inflation goes up, it's the high-end stuff that goes first, right? So all of this demand about let's build all these yachts and big houses turns out to be incorrect market signal brought about by fiat money. And that's why you have these booms and these busts, right? And again, this is a overly simplistic way of looking at it's not exactly all the details of the Austrian cycle in terms of industrial versus consumer goods and so on, but, but that doesn't really matter just to get people to understand the basic principle. So, so doubtless, Right. If you if you're looking at these videos, I'll sort of say to people: if you're looking at this video, or if someone has sent you this video, it's because that someone wants you to understand this this Fed thing, right? Now, I know that it can be weird and uncomfortable to talk about this Fed thing, and it can make you feel like I don't know, maybe a bit of a lone nut conspiracy dude or whatever. But it's important to understand this stuff.
it's important to understand it and it's important to talk about it with people and to help them understand it, right? Because libertarians, God love them, I know that some of them can be pretty nutty, right? And, and you know, in many ways they can be a little alarming, you know, like <laughs> end of the world types whose beards are longer than their hair and who don't seem to own suits. And, and so they, they can be a little weird, a little nutty, and that's fine, right? But, but so, so I'm just trying to tell you, like, I'm, I'm not one of those guys, although I guess it wouldn't take much for my beard to be longer than my hair. And I'm kind of here to tell you that you're totally free to ignore all of this fiat money stuff. Totally free, right? But if you ignore this fiat money stuff, your, uh, your, your stock portfolio will continue to go down. Right? It's not. It's not a curse that, you know, <laughs> uh, I'm putting on you. It's not a curse that uh, the libertarians are putting on you. It's just the reality that, if you kind of say, "Well, I don't like this Fed stuff. It seems kind of weird. I'm sure it's all nonsense. You know, it just seems like a bunch of crazy people talking about things which I can't control and blah blah blah." Well, you know, you can ignore the signs of cancer. That not make the cancer go away. You can ignore. All of this stuff about the Fed and government control of the money supply and all this stuff, which sounds weird and creepy and culty, and you know, you can ignore all of that. And all that will happen is another 10 or 20 percent is going to be lopped off your net worth, right? There's a price for ignoring this stuff. I mean, it's not like libertarians wake up every morning and say, "Ooh, can I get into more fights about the Fed, please? Wouldn't that be great? Wow, what a what a wonderful way to spend my day, right?" They don't, and they don't enjoy. I don't believe, at least I don't know any who do, they don't enjoy having people sort of say, no, 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 we need more government regulation, no, 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 it's not the Fed, no, 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 the Fed is here to help, and blah, 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 and rolling their eyes whenever this essential and rigorous and well-proven, well-established, Nobel Prize-winning economists have pointed out exactly the same thing, and yeah, you'll find a bunch of status economists who won't, but... You just have to, it's just a common sense issue. And you don't have to listen at all. But if you don't listen, if you don't think about it, if you don't do the research, if you don't find out the truth, right, you're, you're just going to lose more money. You're going to lose more money, you're going to lose more money, you're going to lose more money. Now at some point, you're going to listen, right? As long as, you know, at some point, these libertarian predictions are going to be believable to you at some point. Right? I don't know how much money people have to lose in order to start taking those who accurately predict this stuff seriously. I, I don't know how much money people have to lose. It seems to be that they have to lose quite a lot, and uh, that's a real shame. But at some point, you know, you, you're going to say, well, more regulation is the answer. You're going to support that, and you're going to say to the libertarians, forget it, you guys are crazy, right? What do you mean less regulation? It's regulation that caused the problems, blah, 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 all that sort of shit. We've all heard it a million times before. You're crazy, you're pro-business, you're anti-poor, you're, you know, all, that ca all of the crap, right? And the libertarians, at least those who are wise and patient, are going to say, okay, fine. Go run to the government, go run to the guns, go run to the people who caused the problem and praise their booties for being able to solve it, right? Go, do it, do it. You don't have to listen to us. You really don't, right? 
If you think that smoking is going to cure your emphysema and the doctor and you won't listen to any reason, all the doctor can do is say, "Go for it. I can't control what you what you put in your lungs or your mouth, right?" So so go, you know, go to the government, go to Barack Obama, or John McCain, or it's probably going to be Obama. Go and say, you know, "Hey, you guys are right." And cheer the bailout, right? Cheer the addition of more fiat money, more bullshit interest rate manipulation. Right? Go and put your faith in the people who steered you into the rocks and say, oh, they, oh, now I've got it down. Now we're going to fix it, right? Now we know what we're doing, right? Well, what's different? Nothing. <laughs> we're still blindfolded. We still don't have a compass. But don't worry. This time, the psychic budgie, Bernie, is going to tell us which way to go and how to solve the problem. So go to those people, right? Because if you won't listen to reason then you're just going to have to listen to disaster. I mean, there's, I wish there was another way. I really, really, really wish there was another way. If you're not going to listen to reason, if you're not going to understand these issues, then your life will just keep getting worse, right? Like some guy who says, no, no, my drinking is not a problem when it actually is, right? It's like, okay, well, if you're not going to listen to the intervention, then you have to you can just go keep drinking, right? Until, you know, you, uh, you, you crash a car. Say, oh, my drinking is fine. I don't have a problem. Okay, well, until you crash another car, until you lose your job, until your wife leaves you, until... Like, at some point, though, you're going to say, yeah, I have a problem. Right? And at some point, you're going to say, the system is a problem. Not just the guy who's in charge of it at the moment. Not just a specific strategy for this, that, or the... At some point, at some point, I guarantee you, you're going to say... Hey, this is uh, um, there's something fundamentally wrong here, right? And and it's going to you, you then I hope at least if you're reasonable I hope you're going to then listen to the people who've been saying this bailout won't work, this solution won't work. The problem is systemic. The problem is systemic. The problem is is systemic, right? The problem is with the system. The problem is not that each, you know, one slave is beaten or one woman is beaten. The problem is that slaves don't have rights, that women don't have rights, and the problem is that the government has a monopoly on the money supply. So my only question to you is, well, how bad are you going to let it go? How bad are you going to let it be? I mean, they say with anything, you know, have, you know, you're bidding for something or whatever, they say have a standard, right? Have a standard, right? And that's all, all we're saying. All the libertarians are saying, have a standard. You know, I don't presume to speak for all libertarians, forgive me, but I think that they would agree with me, even those who don't agree with me on other things. Have a standard. That's all we're saying, right? So maybe you've lost 30 40% of your stock portfolio, and maybe you feel that some bailout is going to make it better. And maybe it will for a little while, for sure. You know, heroin makes anyone feel better for a little while. right? It's, it's by the long term that they shall be judged, right? So... At, at what percentage do you stop, uh, like, do you start rethinking what, what you think you believe, right? At, at what percentage loss are you going to do it, right? I just think it's important. It's really important. You know, say when you're in Vegas, right? If I'm down $500, I pull out, right? When you're bidding, you know, I'm only going to go so high, you know, buying a car. I'm only going to accept so many. This is the payment that I will accept per month, and you don't go beyond it, right? That's a basic aspect, foundational aspect of money management, right? So this all I'm saying is that have a standard, right? Say, okay, I'm going to give these 
ask clowns who got us into this mess one more chance, right? Because I, I don't want to listen to the libertarians. Okay, fine, don't listen to the libertarians, right? And say, shit, well, I lost 40% of my stock's value under these guys' watch. But now I'm going to give them one more chance, right? So then when you lose another 10% or 20%, doesn't work out, then will you listen to reason? Or will you, like a moronic broken record, <laughs> go and uh, you know run back to the same guys for the same crappy treatment? And uh, you know when you have a dollar left, will you listen to us then? Right? When when you, when you have no roof over your head, will you listen to us then? You know, at some point you're going to have to listen to reason. You're going to have to listen to reason at some point because everybody does who doesn't die, right? <laughs> Every alcoholic who doesn't die at some point has at least the opening to listen to reason, right? So that's all we're saying. At some point, you have to listen to reason. So my argument is, well, why not listen sooner rather than later? Okay, so I said I was going to talk about four topics and that was just two but but that's the kind of stuff that I would I guess it was two and a half I'm getting to the kind of stuff that I'd like to talk about and uh, I hope that you will let me know what you think and, and thank you so much for listening uh, if you would like to donate I think that would be great I know that it's tough during these hard economic times but of course this is exactly the time when we need to get the message out the most so I hope that you will uh, dig even a little deep and to try and help out the dissemination of these uh, philosophical ideas during this time of general crisis thank you so much for listening. I will talk to you soon.